Welcome to Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement-building show. This is your host, Eric Mann. I'm in studio with the producer and co-host of the show, Channing Martinez, with Alan Minsky, uh, the longtime program director and now special projects leader of extraterrestrial and interplanetary... Secret, secret operations. Secret operations. <laughs> Uh, who's still with us in whatever form he is. Uh, if he didn't show up, I was just going to talk about the New York Knicks for the fun drive. And, that would be whoa. And I, in fact, I'll do that. For anybody who wants to pledge $100, you just say, Eric should talk about the New York Knicks. That's a premium. I know I can deliver. So, uh, Glory days or present days? I, I think the Knicks have a future. I do. Um, so tell us what we're going to – this is the last day of the fun drive. For a while, Fun Drive apparently went very well. You, you have some numbers, Alan. Yeah, we uh, we're doing okay. We got up towards uh, we're we're closing in on our goal of seven hundred thousand dollars, and we have it within our sights. And in fact, I can get an update. Uh, and we do have a little bit more from the uh, internet to add in, but I think we're about fifteen thousand dollars away. And we want to, of course, make a chunk of that this hour because right. uh, we've done great raising money on. Uh, uh, with voices from the front lines, both for KPFK and the Pacifica Network in general. And joining us now is, uh, in fact, uh, one of the uh, senior managers within the Pacifica Network, a person who's been in these halls longer than myself, even, Mark Torres. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing okay. I just got off the road <laughs> and right into the studio. Oh, there we go. Well, we got we have a show. It's called The Four Boys. It's uh, <laughs> Channing Martinez, Mark Torres, Alan Misky, and Eric Mann, or... Two Jews, a Latino, and a black brother. We got all kinds of interesting possibilities here, yeah. but we want to raise some money. Where, uh, you know, the fifteen thousand dollars stuff, um, seven hundred thousand dollars. I just want to talk to you all about money a little bit. Um, I'm the director of a nonprofit. I raise money all year. All I mean, if you're a director, that's what you do. It, it's almost like if you want to do your political work, which I do. You have to raise money for it. And at the Strategy Center, we don't hire fundraisers because all organizers raise money, and we don't want to pay somebody just to raise money. But that's similar, I think, in some ways what KPFK does, which is all of us are raising money as well as doing the show, as well as running the station. So one thing you need to understand is if, if we're now in an age of billions and trillions being real amounts of money. And... We're just trying to get millions, you know, and not a lot of them. But there needs to be some grown-up understanding about money, which is all of us should be regularly giving at the high end of our income possibility. At the Strategy Center, we had a fundraising party once. It's in my book, Playbook for Progressives, The 16 Qualities of the Successful Organizer. And at one fundraising party, we raised almost $100,000. The way we did it is that the lowest income people would get up, domestic workers would get up and say, I want to pledge $15 a month to the Strategy Center. And the whole place would go, wait a minute, that's more than in, back then it might have been two hours pay. And somebody else would say, I'm on SSI and I saved up all year and I want to 
contribute $250 in memory of my father. Then all the people who had real money, which would mean this was real money, said they were about to give 500 and they gave 2000 And the people who were willing to give 1000 gave 3000 because they said, it's not right. If a domestic worker is willing to give $15 a month and this brother who's on SSI is willing to give $250, what does that say about me? So in terms of Pacifica, it's our last day. I don't know what the, the, the general premium is going to be, the fund drive. But I think the real premium is the station. I just want to keep saying that, that we're not offering premiums for money, films for money, books for money. We're really offering the very station that you love for simply enough money to run the very station that you love. And so it's for those of you who are most loyal to Voices and most loyal to the station, Pretty much every time we go on FunDrive, you've been great about it. and You've given given substantial amount of money. So since it's the last day of the Fund Drive, Alan and Mark, why don't you tell us about what we're offering people and the premium and how much it's going to be? And then I have a couple of thoughts, and we're going to raise some money today. Well, we have two thank you gifts that we're featuring. One is the new KPFK T-shirt, That's which cool. is a $60 pledge. It's designed by Shepard Ferry. It is a beautiful image. Guy has incredibly stark and uh, dramatic lines, and uh, it is a radio tower with a microphone on top of it, sending out eight lightning bolts and concentric circles, as one is familiar with from radio graphics. And in it, it says KPFK Radio, powered by the people, and it is honoring our 60th anniversary, which is this year coming up on very July 26th. Very cool. Very cool. Sixty dollar pledge, one dollar for each year. It's eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. Now, our other thank you gift is the hugest, largest audio collection pretty much available anywhere, and it comes from the Pacifica Radio Archives. It's volumes one, two, and three of Voices That Changed the World, and it adds up to about 150 days of audio, and it includes the best of the Pacifica Radio Archives. And in these three, second and third volumes, uh, focus upon the incredible work coming from KPFA up north, WBAI in New York City, and KPFK right here in Southern California. And to tell us more... We have uh, none other than one of really the great uh, archivists, uh, audio and otherwise, in the country, Mark Torres. Well, I've been thinking about history and what we can learn from it, you know, recently because I'm actually writing up a um, a sponsor brochure for the Pacifica Radio Archives to do a capital campaign myself. And in thinking about history, finding quotes from people who who look to history so that we can utilize the lessons learned there and apply it to our lives today. Uh, there's nothing more important than when you have some greats throughout history facing incredible challenges and coming up with incredible solutions. Going back to Rosa Parks, what did she do? She, she stood up for her rights in 1955 in December and refused to give up her seat on a bus, which in many opinions kick-started the modern civil rights movement. We think about the challenges that Dr. Martin Luther King overcame. He was a communist. He was on billboards across the world as public enemy number one, yet today he is revered as one of the most important people in the nonviolent move for change. Uh, you know, these, these simple acts and these actions and these sacrifices and, and commitment that these people have made over, over time, we can learn from these things. And, and I'm so happy to have three clips uh, that I'm going to bring from you uh, present today. Uh, two from 1961, one is James Farmer and one is Bayard Rustin, and one from 1958, Paul Robeson. This oh was, my God. This was like the number one entertainer on the planet, universally speaking. A giant among giants who learned the language of every country that he went to and performed in. So he was endeared by, you know, dozens and dozens, 50, 60 languages, countries around the world. And he never separated his activism from his art. And that hurt him. It hurt him deeply. Yet it helped move the conversation forward to have something, somebody at his level move forward. Did you want to say a few words about Paul Robeson before we hear this clip? No, I'd rather hear the clip and talk. I have okay. a lot to say about Paul Robeson, but uh, how, much is, how much are we asking people to pay for the 
uh, mega collection. Yeah, it's a two hundred and fifty dollar pledge, and um, the thing about this collection is. Uh, you know, you can get these files. You'll have the most incredible treasure trove of historical material from the past 70 years of American history and global history. Uh, just about every everything imaginable is in, is collected in here. We have great artists. We have great activists. We have uh, politicians from the day. Uh, we have science. It's all here, folks. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. We even have a few people commenting from usually a socially critical radical perspective on sports. So can, it's there, folks. All right. right. Can, can we get five people calling in as we're listening to great. the Paul so, Robeson? So, so listen to what we're doing. So okay. it's 250 for the jump drive, $60 for the T-shirt. Sight on scene, why don't you start calling at 818-985-5735 and completely free. I will comment on Paul Robeson after they play the clip. Okay. So keep the phones running. 818-985-5735. The last day of this fun drive. Take away the history of Pacifica Radio going back to 1949 in the Voices That Changed the World 3 USB drive set. And um, and the 60 the $60, 60-year T-shirt. That's my it's favorite. A, yeah, me too. Shepherd Ferry. Are you kidding me? How cool is that? Let's hear from Paul Robeson. And uh, Elsa Knight-Thompson is uh, interviewing him uh, as well, talking about activism and art in 1958. Robeson, do you think your artistry as a singer and uh, actor have suffered because <laughs> of your involvement in political action or profited? They have not. I feel that they have profited. They've only suffered. when They've suffered by the fact that because of my political views, which I certainly did not expect in a democracy, that I've been prevented from exercising my craft. However, I've kept singing all through the years. Uh, you may be able to test it pretty soon. I just made a recording the other day for Vanguard, which they felt was superior to any records I have ever made. My voice is still in fine shape. I've been in the area. And as far as Othello, I've worked on it. I feel I've just been invited to play at, Str at Stratford-on-Avon, uh, the Shakespeare Memorial Theater in England, in, strange to say, in Pericles, to play the part of Gower. And I would certainly do Othello at some point in London, and I feel I would give a better performance. Uh, I feel that in every, and I, I've got a lot of things here which we won't be able to get to in my music, comparing the folk music of the world, I would say that my interest in my art has deepened just no end in the last years. And I've become interested in the music of Bartok, of Mussorgsky, many folk things, the, the, the unity of the folk music of the world, which has sprung from my political conviction that all people should be unified. I have seen it expressed in their music, and I do a program which of all the songs of all the peoples in the world, suggesting that we are all one human family. It all comes to that. So I feel that basically that it has deepened my... Uh, my. On the other hand, I have never separated my work as an artist from my work as a human being. I've always put it even more strongly that, to me, my art is always a weapon. It's got to be good art. Othello was a weapon in racial relations or or at least showing that uh, we can do some things, too. I played football. My father explained to me that, well, a fellow hit me, I couldn't hit him back because they'd say we were bad and savage, so I had to stand and be knocked all around. Uh, I had to do well in my studies. So I've never been able to divorce one thing from the other. Well, if that's not worth $250, I don't know what <laughs> no, is. 818-985-5735. Right. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about Paul Robeson and uh, Mark, you already did a great job. I mean... First thing to understand is that if you ever believe in a superhero, the black communist superhero was Paul Robeson, um, an all-American football player at Rutgers, Phi Beta Kappa at Rutgers. He leaves Rutgers to go to Columbia Law School where he graduates. He then is on the stage. He's, he's a, he was not at first a very good actor. In fact, he was magnificently handsome and tall, and with that, you hear that. James Earl Jones probably listened to his tapes <laughs> right. to figure out how to get his act together, you know? Yeah. I mean, that voice is just unbelievable. And as Mark said, uh, he was he went to England. So 818-985-5735. I'm not just telling you a story, folks. Just that clip alone is worth $250 and $60 for the T-shirt. So he went to London, where he was actually treated very well. London has a strange kind of culture where it's a totally racist empire, but there's certain decency in race relations around some of the big cities. 
And all of a sudden, these Africans came up to him and said, how do we say that to you? You are being treated very well, but do you know what England is doing in Africa? And Robeson became a pan-Africanist and became very supportive of the liberation struggles there. And you, you read it in uh, Here I Stand, which is this wonderful book that he wrote. Uh, his voice is unbelievable, as Mark said. I mean, he would go into another country and he'd come two weeks early only to learn the entire language in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he could, because his grasp theoretically of language and his grasp of sound and understanding the science of language and had such a feel for language, and he could figure out all the extrapolations if it's Portuguese and Spanish, if it's, you know. So, of course, there's all, also his relationship with the Welsh miners, which we could talk about. So the, the, this erudition, his father was a pastor, and a very strict, he, on his deathbed, he said, I, I hope my father would be proud of me. He's one of the great people, 818-985-5735. I hope we get some people calling up. Um, yeah, let's get five people yeah, on the right line now, right now. Right, 818-985-5735. I want to tell you a little bit more about Paul Robeson, but not if you're not calling in, because we need the money to support the station so we can tell you the story on this. Uh, we're waiting to see what's what's. Ricky, you you working out a chart? Okay, so I'm going to keep going a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, sure. sure. But 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 yeah. just to lay so, yeah. the context is that here is this world citizen, self-proclaimed world citizen. I don't know if we've actually heard that concept right. before, Paul Robeson. But that was a great concept. But he could perform in the stuffiest Shakespearean theaters to the elites of England an Othello program, and he could also go to the front to the Welsh miners or the Ukrainian right. workers of the world and relate to all of them. So this is somebody who could could go in between class yes. seamlessly. So he was a great representative for the world citizen. But the problem was that he was very supportive of the communists. And he wasn't in the communist party, but he was essentially a com he was definitely a communist. Mm -hmm. So what happened was is that during World War II, and this is about, by the way, what's going to happen to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Yohan Amar, and Rashida Tlaib. So don't think this is ancient history, that when people are really magnificent and stand up, that the government's going to come down on them like a ton of bricks. So what happened was that during World War II, the United States was very close with the Soviet Union because they were in a united front against Hitler. So during that period, Robeson was allowed to say some pretty radical things. Right after the war, when the United States dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in order to basically intimidate the Soviets, Robeson said, the Negro people will never fight against the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union has been a friend of the Negro people, and if there ever is a war between the United States and the Soviet Union, we will not participate. That's all he said. It's essentially, a pa he didn't say... I support the Soviet Union going to war with the United States. He was trying to stop the United States from going to war with the Soviet Union. But then they got every Negro established figure to get up and say, oh, no, no, I will go to war with the Soviet Union. And they began to take away Robeson's passport. They took away W.E.B. Du Bois' passport. And eventually he couldn't, he couldn't entertain. He was, he was driven out of virtually all the... He went from making about $150,000 a year to making $2,000 a year in about two years' time. 818-985-5735. You're not going to just get it off this thing. You're going to have to learn. You listen to Paul Robeson, and then you go read about Paul Robeson. So the, the question is, this is a magnificent gift to you. 818-985. Uh, we want to thank someone from San Clemente who did pledge. Uh Let's talk, and then let's play another clip. Of course, there was one place where, even in the United States, Paul Robeson was always welcome, and that was Pacifica Radio. That is very That's true. That's a very good point. <laughs> That's a very good point. Pacifica has always been an outlet for all political viewpoints, um, the concept being that if we discuss these things uh, between ourselves and you know, um, you know, through our listener audience— we can debate these things rationally mm -hmm. and in conversation and not on a battlefield. It's better to, let's discuss these things. Let's, 
let's bring out our best minds in each of these areas and maybe we can come to some greater understanding that's good for all of us. Well, that's a great tribute to the work you do because during the 60s, we had a period of wonderful debate that was followed by very bitter debates. And when the bitter debates began and everybody was accusing each other of everything, our movement began to fall apart. So I think that Pacifica bringing together, even on this uh, jump drive series for $250, so many great thinkers who do not all agree with each other. And that's what makes it magnificent. And I just big props to the work you do, Mark. Uh, 818-985-5735. Talk. Channing Martinez. Sure. So 818-985-5735. This was... Well, first of all, it's the first time I've ever heard Paul Robinson's voice, and oh my gosh, <laughs> oh my goodness, and it, like he can seduce you into anything. Yeah, yeah. All those languages must have sounded even better. You know? <laughs> um, the second thing is, you know, he's giving a great lesson of what our generation and generations even that are even younger than my generation can learn, and. You know, that is that when he says art is a weapon, right. you know, he's not saying that not do not go work for the system. He's saying go work for the system, but make sure when you're working for the system that you're actually working for the movement in many ways. And it's really inspiring to hear his words and hear how he's thinking about, you know, his art and his work in the movement and what he calls his actual human work, right? His actual work that's natural to him in many senses. And so, you know, it's it's great to hear that on tape. And, you know, this is a great resources that needs to be shared with envy, everyone. Yeah, I hope it inspires the next generation of poets, musicians, artists, filmmakers. Art can help move people forward. It inspires people. Uh, it keeps us, it gets us out of our lazy boy chairs. It yes. gets us off the television. It inspires us to do something positive for ourselves, our community, and our our countries and the planet. Uh, so, you know, this was not, he was not the only person that spoke this truth. James Baldwin would talk about the importance of um, of action in art, the, the responsibility of poets in times of crisis. And, uh, and these are lessons from antiquity, from history that happened 50, 60 years ago that we can learn today as we face current challenges from our own president, our own administration, the policies that are creating border walls and considering, you know, white supremacy walking the streets of America um, and, and taking action around the world. These are all big challenges that we face today. How do we face them? Well, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can learn from the actions of the great minds that have come before us, and a lot of those recordings are in the Pacifica Radio archives. Let me ask you this. Are we, are we talking about James Farmer or James Foreman? That is a good question, and I'm pretty sure well, I'll it's James Farmer. All right. I know them both, so okay. let me just preface. Do, do we want to do that, or yeah, do we yeah. want to do Bayard Rustin? No, I want to do James Farmer and okay. James Farmer. Let me just tell you okay. the difference, because I knew them both. Uh, I when I got out of Cornell in 1964, I went to work with the Congress of Racial Equality at Harlem. I was uh, the first, probably the only white uh, field secretary in, in in the North. James Farmer sounds like this, <laughs> and James Foreman sounds like this. You will not get them confused. Uh, <laughs> Farmer has a booming, okay. stentorian voice. Uh, he was a, uh, he, if you know the film The Great Debaters, he was actually in it when he was 15 years old. Uh, I think it was called Wiley College in, te in Texas. Uh, he was a, a longtime pacifist. I was born in 1942. He formed CORE in 1942. I, he was my director when I got there, Jim Form Farmer, a wonderful person. James Foreman was in World War. It was in the Korean War. He became a leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, later the League of Revolutionary Black Workers. You'll clearly know the difference as soon as you hear it. So let's play the clip, and I'll tell okay. you which one it is. All right. This one's. This is from 1961. Right. And the Freedom Rides are just kicking off. So it's James Farmer. Yeah, and uh, Elsa Knight Thompson is asking him, what is this Freedom Rides all about? And he sets up a story 
and talks about all the places that he went to and some of the challenges he faced. Sounds great. Uh, I believe you have just been in, involved in this cross-country uh, bus ride. Now, uh, I'm sorry to admit that I haven't really had time to follow up this story, and uh, you can begin at the beginning uh, and, and tell me what, it, what the purpose was and uh, how many people were involved mm. and so on. Well, very gladly, Ms. Thompson. Uh, of course, Freedom Ride is now a part of American history. And I think that all persons in the country, all citizens, should be aware of it. You see, back in 1946, the United States Supreme Court, in the Irene Morgan case, ruled that there could be no segregation of interstate passengers on buses. Uh, more recently, in 1960, the Supreme Court ruled in the Boynton case that uh, there must be no discrimination or segregation of interstate passengers in any of the facilities at bus terminals. It was therefore following up on these two rulings that Corps decided upon its freedom ride, uh, whereby an interracial group from all over the country, at least half of them being from the South, would uh, travel as interstate passengers by uh, regular interstate carriers, Greyhound and Trailways, through the South, including the Deep South, uh, refusing to submit to the local customs of segregation uh, seeking unsegregated seating on buses, seeking use of all the bus terminal and rest stop facilities en route, including the waiting rooms, the lunch counters, restaurants, washrooms, and so forth. Well, now tell me, how many of you went, when did, where did it start from, and, and what sort of thing happened? Well, we started from Washington, D.C. on uh, May 4th, after two and a half days of preparation and training for the trip in Washington. Uh, in this two and a half days which preceded the ride, uh, we discussed the purposes and philosophy of the Freedom Ride. Uh, I could state that purpose uh, very simply, I think, by uh, stating that um, we felt that uh, there's a long step between the establishment of good laws or the issuing of uh, Supreme Court rulings on one hand and the enforcement of those laws are those decisions on the other. And so the purpose of the Freedom Ride was to seek enforcement of the anti-segregation laws and rulings of the federal government and to urge people, Negro and white, when they're traveling as interstate passengers to refuse to submit to local customs of segregation and to seek unsegregated use of all facilities, to encourage Negroes in the various communities through the South to do that, to encourage white people in traveling to do that, and also to turn the spotlight of public opinion throughout America on the issue of segregation in the Deep South, because it was our feeling that uh, as much as we might like to do it, Alabama and Mississippi cannot be swept under the nation's rug. Now, we had uh, two and a half days of training. We anticipated all the things that might occur. We knew that there would probably be arrests, and we were prepared for arrests if they took place. Um, the members of the Freedom Ride were pledged uh, not to accept bail, but to stay in jail, not to pay fines if fined, but to serve their time, feeling that they could spotlight the issue much better in that way. Uh, we knew that there was a great possibility, if not a probability, of violence, and we were prepared for that, too. Uh, we left on May 4th, boarding uh, six people, boarding Greyhound and seven people boarding Trailways for Richmond, Virginia. From Richmond, we went to Petersburg and then Lynchburg, Virginia, and at each rest stop and at each terminal, we sent test groups of the Freedom Riders in to test the use of the facilities. Yes. Wow. Hey, everybody. The, the voice you heard was the director of my organization, James Farmer. I did a pretty good prediction <laughs> of his voice. Yeah. Uh, stentorian. Deep and powerful. Deep and powerful. And, you know, one thing, there's so much, you know, I, I, I could probably do a five-hour show on every three-minute clip. I really <laughs> could. I mean, the first thing to understand is that, which was not, the, the woman clearly did not know who interviewing him, barely understood. I think you went on a bus ride, she said? I mean, God, no, it was called the Freedom Rides. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's not understood is they was, in, in Alabama, they were subjected to the most grotesque mobs 
who attacked them for integrating the restrooms. Everybody went into, blacks went into the white-only restroom, and they integrated the facilities and... Um, Even the counters. In the counters. And one guy, Jim Peck, who I knew very well, uh, was beaten within an inch of his life. He was active and core white guy. And when I met him, he had a, a hole in his skull the size of a baseball. I mean, an indentation. I mean, it was like shocking. They did brain surgery and just barely. He, he left with all his faculties intact, but I don't know how. Um, uh, Congressman John Lewis, who was simply John Lewis at the time, was also beaten within an inch of a light. We're not talking about, you know, a little violence. We're talking about guys with clubs protecting segregation at that level. Uh, Jim Farmer was a little frightened. He wasn't sure he wanted to go on the Freedom Rides in some way. But all the young people looked at him and said, Jim, you're the director of the organization. Aren't you going? He went, uh... I think I am, yes. I certainly, <laughs> I certainly was planning to join you, as we would say. So then Jim gets on there. And, and so the point is, is that what, what I know Mark was nodding is that, see, a lot of times today you say the Supreme Court did this and Trump did this, but you're not doing a damn thing about it, so shut up. I mean it. We didn't care what Trump said or what the Supreme Court said. We put our bodies on the line and changed history. So, yeah, the Supreme Court passed certain things about interstate commerce, would not enforce it. The federal government was not enforcing uh, integration laws against the racist South. The racist South was Democratic, and the president was Democratic, and they, these were Democrats, not, you know. And so you had to take the law into your own hands, and people put their lives on the line, and that's how history was made. And today, we're not putting our lives on the line, which is why history is not being made in our direction. So that's one reason to read this, to listen to these voices, Paul Robeson and Jim, what do they all have in common so far? Great sacrifice for their views. Courage. Risk, courage, risk for their views. They don't just have views. They put their bodies on the line. So 818-985-5735 to get this three-volume, how do you say it? Three. Yeah, it's three volumes of voices that change the world. Literally, in the case of James Farmer and James Foreman, but James Farmer, you know, I was literally reading um, a biography of James Farmer as he was speaking, and they were outlining everything that he said. But when you hear Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., when you hear Rosa Parks, when you hear Fannie Lou Hamer, when you hear James Farmer, when you hear James Baldwin in their own voice, going through this in that time. It's very hard to put yourself 50 and 60 years ago, but when you hear this voice and, and the circumstances for which they were challenged to rise up and come up with a solution, I mean, these guys had to think about, well, we were thinking there might be violence. We were thinking we might get this resistance. We were thinking we may be met with arrests. You know, right. when you hear the mechanics of what they did, the planning and the courage and the intelligence, the organizing skills to face the challenge of that day. And in many ways, we're facing those challenges and worse today. So what can we learn from that? We can learn from how they overcame these challenges. It, it changed everything when, you know, more legislation was working in their favor. The Voter Rights Act, which now right. has been gutted. That's right. Uh, because... Uh, Scalia said there was no more racism in America, which today we're laughing at as white supremacists are marching, literally That's marching right. in our streets. That's right. So the the I think um, Eric Mann, if if there's something to be learned is from from your recounting of those days to cement to our listeners today what these men, what you went through, and what we can do today to help make change. Well, one thing I want to say is that, uh, first of all, we want to thank an anonymous donor from San Clemente. I want to thank Mark Masaoka from Los Angeles, who's getting the T-shirt. Mark Masaoka, who I'd like to have on the show very soon, was one of the leaders of the General Motors Van Nuys struggle, a real leader in the United Auto Workers for more than about 12 years, who, with whom I worked very closely at the GM Van Nuys plant. Anna Marie Barry from Long Beach, thank you so much for calling in. 
I'm, I'm putting it on the air just as an idea, Mark, is that I'd love to do uh, something with the archives where we would pick 10 or 15 of these clips in some sequence. We'd put it together as a module, and I would do commentary on trying to find a narrative line between all of them. If not, I'll just do it on the show. But 818... Oh, really? But 818-985-5735. I want to take a minute to read you something, which is this thing I wrote about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib for president. Is that okay? It'll take about... Um, Sure. Absolutely. It's great. Let's do it. It's totally consistent with the fun drive. What I'm getting to is this is happening. These are some people who are putting their bodies on the line. These are some people who are in the tradition of Paul Robeson and Jim Foreman. There are very few. And no, Bernie Sanders isn't one of them, in my view. But they are. So I'm going to read it to you for what it's worth. It's just an opinion on KPFK. But if you like my opinion or just having one, 818-985-5735, for the three-volume jump drive set, $60 for this terrific KPFK 60th anniversary T-shirt. It's only 400 words because I had to do it for... So it says, I was asked by the blog State of Nature and its editors, Sion Oxon and John Bales, to answer their one-question monthly roundtable. Should the left support Bernie Sanders for president? In 400 words, an exercise in getting to the point. I, along with other respondents, thought that was a good question, but not the right one with which to start. So here is my response to the one question. My answer, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib for president. My perspective begins with a primary strategic assumption. I see the U.S. as a racist, imperialist bully built on genocidal white settler state. So I begin my hopes for any presidential election with what I hope for, a candidate who vehemently opposes the racist and imperialist actions of our government. I will work in the general election to support any Democratic candidate to defeat Trump, but the movement can also play a role in making demands on the presidential candidates. 818-985-5735-250 for the jump drive, $60 for the T-shirt. Now, in that Democratic primary, no, in that the Democratic Party is a party of imperialism, I still accept the urgency of a united front against the racist and proto-fascist Donald Trump. I will work in the general election to support any Democratic candidate to defeat Trump. But the movement can also play a role in making demands on the presidential candidates. Demands that should frame the Democratic primaries include open borders for all immigrants, free the one million black and 500,000 Latino prisoners, and the Israeli blockade of Palestine, stop U.S. intervention in Venezuela, and cut U.S. greenhouse gases by 50% 50% of 1990 levels by 2025. I will follow the lead of three dynamic and courageous young women, new members of Congress. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from the Puerto Rican community has opposed ICE, calls for tearing down the U.S. wall with Mexico, and has been willing to be point on the great debates, understand that she is taking on the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. She will is willing to be point Ilhan Omar from Somalia has supported boycott, divestment, and sanctions, opposed Elliot Abrams and the U.S. efforts to bring down the Maduro government in Venezuela, as they did Allende, and has already been attacked by Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and the Democratic Party machine. Rashida Tlaib, a Palestinian-American, strongly supports boycott, divestment, and sanctions, calls for the right of return to all Palestinians, and the impeachment of Donald Trump, a.k.a. the MF. By contrast, Bernie Sanders' socialism is little more than imperialism with benefits. Sanders' one-note focus on strengthening Social Security and Medicare for All is a conscious strategy to pacify the white, rabid, racist Trump voters. Instead of supporting black and Latino demands, confronting white imperialist gentrification of black communities, and aggressively challenging Democratic Party imperialism. With regards to the, uh, I, I'm taking out certain things that you don't need to know, <laughs> and then I'm going to get to the punchline. In the Democratic primaries, I will follow the lead of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 
Yonamar and Rashida Tlaib. Whither they goest, I will go. So I'm going to look to them instead of deciding who I want to support. Whoever they support, I'm going to support. 818-985-5735. I, ho- I know you thought that was fascinating. The question is, is it $250 worth of fascinating? And $60 for the T-shirt. Why don't we play the third clip, Mark? Is that okay? And then we'll all ask for money. Okay. Uh, but I do think that y- the answer is yes. Uh, that alone was worth a $250 donation because that's what we do. We hear currently and through our historical recordings give everybody the information they need to make their best choices. And we're going to need to make some serious, hard, That's good right. choices in the coming months and coming elections. In this final clip, this is something uh, you were mentioning that, uh, you know, at the at the same table, we would have people who were basically had a had a similar end goal, but disagreed about how to get there. And can you imagine having James Baldwin as a moderator, Malcolm X on one side, Bayer Rustin on the other? You know, it's it's like James Baldwin had to, you know, he was a great mediator, I would have to say, because he was friends with both of them. Bayard Rustin, though, in a separate uh, speech, um, he gave um, his opinion on on the nonviolent movement and and uh, how in many ways white culture was showcasing to the black community that they only listen to violence. And so here is a normally very nonviolent Bayard Rustin explaining this dynamic in 1961. This nation is teaching the poor that they ought to riot lest they get nothing. In Chicago, Martin Luther King was there for a year and a half and got a piece of paper which the city fathers have not yet recognized. When young Negroes riot because they are too warm in the summer, Mr. Daly, a week later, goes about distributing $8 sprinklers. And the young people turn to Dr. King and say, you see, Daddy, you and your nonviolence roll over. We got our sprinklers because the only thing Whitey understands is violence. Now, that was a very short clip, but the sentiment was clear. And I don't know how much clearer you can get than state than citing example after example of what was being rewarded and what was not. Uh, what do you have to say about uh, Bayard Rustin and his observation from for ni- from 1961? Well, I knew Bayard Rustin well. I'm a lucky person. I mean, I'm in very good shape, and I need to stay al- around for a long time because. I was there, and I'm still there. I'm doing civil rights work in South Central Los Angeles today. This doesn't feel old to me at all. I mean, I think about Bayard every day. I think about all these people. They're they're real people to me. Bayard was gay. That's important because back then that was a very big thing. And by the way, contrary to what you think, he he was treated very well in the civil rights movement. I never saw him gay-baited inside the black movement. So... Don't listen to all the stereotypes. Everybody knew Bayard was gay. He was totally out there. We disagreed with him on a lot of things because he was too close to the Democratic Party in our view. But he was a major figure. We 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 talked. We said Bayard, Malcolm. You know, he, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was, was in the conversation. He was, he was in the conversation. <laughs> he was a substantial player. You didn't yeah. dismiss Bayard Rustin. He was also the main organizer of the March on Washington, a brilliant tactician. So what's what's important about this thing is that. Here you have King and Bayard Rustin and James Farmer, who all came out of not simply nonviolence, but a deep philosophical belief in this. I mean, they were, this was not simply a tactic. They had studied with Gandhi. They, had, they believed in, in, in anti-colonialism through passive resistance and, well, no, through nonviolence. They quickly moved to say it's not passive resistance. It's got to be very aggressive nonviolence, which people didn't understand. But what Bayard is saying there, which is the same thing King said, King said, how can I ask people in the ghetto to be nonviolent when the United States is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world? And King never denounced the militants, never. 
And that's what by it, which is the great quote. It's short but very important because it defies another stereotype. Byard is saying, look, I believe in nonviolence with my heart and soul, but this system is so rotten that what we're learning is only violence seems to get these people to even listen to us. So I think it's a wonderful clip, and I don't care if it's four seconds. It's, it's really historic because you – what I'm trying to say is that it was so complicated when we were there. The conversations were so rich. And now you're hearing stupidity at caricature. Malcolm was this. Martin was this. Rustin was... No, you don't understand. It wasn't like that. They were all on the spectrum. But the relationship of the conversations was phenomenal. Bayard would get up and make an argument, and we would go, damn, he's good. You know, I mean, <laughs> what are you going to say? We don't agree yeah. with him, but he, he, he would be persuasive. Mm-hmm. And he and Malcolm would talk and influence each other. That's what people don't understand, like... It's heartbreaking to me to hear the way King is caricatured. So this is, for me, Mark, I have to say, for me a gift, you know, because hearing, and also they have real voices, folks. They're Mm -hmm. real human Mm -hmm. beings. Mm -hmm. It's going to force you to say, wait a minute, Fannie Lou Hamer said this, I thought she was going to say that. And Byron said this, I thought he was going to say that. Maybe I actually better take this stuff seriously and not just listen. So I think this is a tremendous gift, folks. 818-985-5735. 818-985-5735. Those three clips alone, Ropes and James Farmer and Byard Rustin Dang, for $250, you got a great deal, and $60 for the T-shirt. 818-985-5735. Get them now, both. Yeah, get them both. Yeah, and I want to say, too, these are brilliant people bringing their A-game. Yeah, and the, that's right. The nature yeah, of the right. intimacy of radio, too. Where you know radio is basically consumed by people when they, in large part, either when they're totally focused upon it, but also That's when right. they have to use their hands but not their minds. That's what driving and listening to the radio is all about: cleaning house, getting ready for work in the morning, making a meal, things like that. That's good. And people, um, and people goes it really goes right into the center of your consciousness because the audio is right there, so present for you. And uh, again, in the presence of these brilliant people bringing their A-game, and this is in, in audio clip after audio clip, shows collected on these amazing collections. When you piece all the shows and clips of these brilliant people together from the best of Pacifica Radio Archives, now in three uh, different USB memory sticks you'll receive, it adds up to 150 days of audio. But it is also very well curated. When you enter this into your computer, right. you will see it just displayed in a way that is easily manageable. You can find what you're looking for. And then the people who are collected here, it is just staggering, folks. So call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. We're halfway to our goal, so we want to see six more people call at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Remember, you can get the Shepherd Ferry T-shirt for a $60 pledge, 60th anniversary T-shirt, or the full-on Pacifica Radio Archives collection uh, where Eric Mann's in there, I'm in there, Mark Torres in there, Channing, you probably, maybe you're in there. You're certainly <laughs> you're in the shows next that are one. in there. But I'm maybe. probably in the next maybe. one. <laughs> yeah, there we yeah. go. So 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Um, first of all, James Farmer, right? Yes. I yeah. don't want to get them confused. Um, you know, the thing I got out of that clip that you're always teaching us at the Strategy Center, Eric, is that, you know, he he had – a hell of a plan and he stated all of the facts in 1946 this passed in 1960 this law passed we tried this we did this training we planned for this thing to happen we planned for that thing to happen and you know it just sets the standard of what it really means to talk like an organizer today and many of us including myself most times don't talk like an organizer and he here you have this basically a gift for only $250 of learning how to talk like an organizer. And, you know, it is true what you're saying that we, you know, we have a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> we have a hell of a lot of catching up to do to even get on that level. I feel also, like... so oh, go ahead, Mark. I, I feel like we have fallen behind because of the distractions that, that confront us each and every day. The things that distract us, whether it's television or video games or sports or things that do not have an important impact in our community, and then decades pass, and we're like, how did we get here? It's almost like, 
how did we get from, how did right. we get here right. you know where there's nazis marching on our streets That's when right. our grandfathers and fathers fought against nazis <laughs> you right. know in That's world right. war 2 right. how did yeah. we get here yeah. uh, so um, i i think as uh, channing was saying you know this really gives us a blueprint it gives us historical perspective and and we just played clips here but th- there's hours of conversation that go into even more detail that we haven't played yet. That's for you to uh, play for you, your family, your friends, your community. And um, and you can do that for a $250 donation. You can literally get a Smithsonian Library of Congress master's degree in social uh, organizing, community organizing, um, art, music, and culture. There's so many different dimensions of recordings here. Women's history, Latino history, African-American history, uh, LGBTQ history, going back to the earliest days. Remember, Pacifica formed over 20 years before NPR was even created. So there are recordings here that they have to license from us. They don't have it. These are unique recordings, and you can't get them anywhere else. That is the value of Pacifica Radio. 818-985-5735 to pick up this amazing gift. Yeah, that's like sort of saying that... Uh... Uh, Dijon mustard existed <laughs> 20 years before mayonnaise. Okay, well, if you <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> uh, that was my view. Uh, oh boy! But one thing I wanted to say is that um, I, I, you know, I do have I work mainly with young people, and and they're really great. But one of the things I think I, I get a big kick when somebody says, "You know, I'm into the spoken word." I go, "Yeah." What do you think we did? You think you invented spoken word? That's a new concept? Listen carefully to Byard Rustin and James Farmer and Paul Robeson. What do they all have in common? As Alan said, they're always bringing their A game because they're prepared. I am a very good public speaker, and I am because I watched the great ones. I watched Malcolm, and you you, you wouldn't dare get on that microphone after him. Oh, no. You just listened. <laughs> oh, no. Then I listened to James Foreman. Then I listened to James Foreman. Then I listened to Bayard. They set the bar, and you didn't go to the mic unless you were very prepared, and you spoke briefly at first. Just make one point and make it well. So we were taught about articulation. We were taught about the role of argument, the role of persuasion, everything they're saying, as, as Channing was saying, you know, it's nothing was spontaneous in the 60s. Everything was planned. Rosa Parks was trained at the Highlander School. Rosa Parks worked with the Communist Party. Rosa mm-hmm. Parks was a conscious organizer. They scripted that, that uh, sit-in that she had for months and months and months and months. She was not a domestic worker with tired feet. She was a politically conscious agent of change. So if you want to get it, 818-985-5735, even on the level, I'm serious, of articulation, of debate, of the presentation of thoughtful ideas, often by black scholars and black leaders, which is my people who have mainly trained me in the spoken art and what I'm trying to teach other people. But what you said, Channing, is right. But each voice is so interesting what, I want to play the uh, Rustin since it's so short. I want to play it again. Listen again to his sense of voice, his sense of articulation. Uh, he scores a lot of points in such a short amount of time. 818-985-5735. Please call in for $250. You know how you guys do it. You always want to make us sweat for the last seven or eight <laughs> minutes. Then you all call in. So start it now. Let's hear Bayard Rustin once again. An articulation of nonviolence explaining the challenge of nonviolence. This nation is teaching the poor that they ought to riot lest they get nothing. In Chicago, Martin Luther King was there for a year and a half and got a piece of paper which the city fathers have not yet recognized. When young Negroes riot because they are too warm in the summer, Mr. Daly a week later goes about distributing $8 sprinklers. And the young people turn to Dr. King and say, you see, Daddy, you and your nonviolence roll over. We got our sprinklers because the only thing Whitey understands is violence. (laughs) That is, uh, simply put, um, you know, a 
an observation that we can learn from today, especially as racism has become tops in the national conversation. Um, that is Bayard Rustin from 1961. Wow. That speech in its entirety is available if you donate $250. We need six people to call right now before the hour is up. That's five, That's four minutes Six people, 818-985-5735. Let's get those people calling. I guarantee when you get this encyclopedia of voices from the Pacifica Radio Archives, this will educate and entertain for years to come. It'll be very difficult to get through all of these recordings. 818-985-5735. I'm asking the voices listeners who are really great. You know you support the show, not just the station, the station, not just the show, the movement, not just the station and the show. Uh, it means a lot. Alan and I and, and Mark and Channing work. We're all here. Channing and I are volunteers, and we come. We spend hours preparing for this show. This is important. This is the last day of the fun drive. You heard that they're trying to raise $15,000 to hit the, a mark of 700000 which would be terrific. But let's get a couple of thousand now. If six people call, that's about uh, $1,325 or 1350 So please call in, 818-985-5735. The T-shirt is $60. The three jump drives are, uh, I'm sorry, $250. 818-985-5735. Just Paul Robeson and James Farmer and Bayard Rustin alone are immeasurably valuable. If you also add Fannie Lou Hamer, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, there's a really great debate between Malcolm and uh, Bayard also on this uh, thing. Alan, haven't heard your stentorian voice for a while. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Angela Davis speaking in 1972. Wow. Stokely Carmichael in 1968. 818-985-5735. The Howard Zinn Collection of Speeches. The Noam Chomsky Collection of Speeches. The Gore Vidal Collection of Speeches. They're all here, folks. 818-985-5735. We have the famous collection of audiobooks that they've done did for Pacifica, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, wow. 1984 by George book. Orwell. The Alexandria Quartet by whatever, who wrote that, Lawrence Durrell or something, but I know they did those. War yeah. and Peace, the famous uh, anti-war uh, reading of War and Peace at WBAI. 818-985-5735. We have the comic reading of the Watergate tapes that was done here at KPFK. 818-985-5735. Right, all the presidencies are covered all the way from Eisenhower through Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, I can name these. We all know that. 818-985-5735. Jesse Jackson at the 1984 and 1988 Democratic Conventions. Wow. 818-985-5735. $250 pledge for the whole collection. 150 days of audio. Absolutely priceless. You will blow your friends and relatives and everyone away with this incredible content that you can easily access and share, folks. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KP. PFK is the number to call. The T-shirt is a $60 pledge. The incredible, vast collection of audio from the Pacifica Radio Archives. Three gigabytes, three-volume collection, Voices That Changed the World, $250, 818-985-5735. This is the last minute the Voices in the Frontlines will come to you and ask for your support during this, the KPFK Winter into Spring Fun Drive. Quick test question. Who narrates Invisible Man? Oh, man, that's a good—oh, I know— uh, it's our very own uh, Roy Hurst. Is our? Uh, are you talking about the radio recording? No, the the, the full uh, uh, whatever it is. Invisible Man is the first book that changed my life. Amazing. It's work. by Ralph Ellison, yeah. and the fundamental premise, of course, is that white people cannot see black people. The they are invisible in U.S. society, and he takes you through the. Historically, black colleges, universities, the Communist Party, even the black nationalists. Mm -hmm. It's the most brilliantly written book that totally, totally shaped my life and another factor that led me to the civil rights movement alone. 818-985. Come on, 5735. We need some more calls. We're going to go into the phone room. Please call in. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Channing. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Nina Simone. Thank you, Ricky. And we still, we're going into that phone room 
and you better be calling. I'll be in that phone room, and you know I know your name. So please call. We'll see you next week at, at 3. This is Eric Mann and Channing Martinez. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. All power to the people and big props to the Pacifica Radio Archives. Keep calling. And more.